It is Monday, October 17th today, and last night on YouTube Live, myself and my co-host Generic C recorded our second episode of Hot Genre Topics. Now, you might remember two weeks ago, we aired it on Instagram Live. It was fun. There was a lot of people that joined in and whatnot, chatted with us, enjoyed the hot sauce we were consuming and the craft beer we were drinking and the horror movies we were talking about. And it was fun, but then we realized something. Uh, Re-airing this thing and cutting it and getting it back on Instagram for people to continue to watch for it being 90 minutes long was a bitch, (laughs) to put it bluntly. So we decided to switch things over to YouTube Live. If you tuned into the show two weeks ago, and I believe some of you who did that also joined us on YouTube Live as well, uh, I have an announcement to make. Uh, We will continue to do the pre-show on Instagram Live on the Hot Genre Topics Instagram page, and then we're going to switch over to YouTube Live for 8 p.m., which is what we did last night, and it worked for us. And I think we're just going to move forward with it. Um, It was a lot of fun. Great feedback. Awesome conversation in the chat on YouTube. It is available on the uh, Hot Genre Topics YouTube page. It's unedited right now. You can literally just click on the link in the show notes of this show and watch the two-hour, two-plus hour, I think, chat about the horror films that we watched the past two weeks. Hellraiser, Halloween Ends, a few cool things that are also on Shudder, but those are just kind of the big popular ones. And then we had a topic of reboots and revamps of just franchises out there in the world. And and we also talked about films that we wanted to maybe see get remade that haven't yet. So it was a really fun, insightful conversation. Me and Generic have known each other since the sixth grade, so it's not like we're shy around each other. Well, him, him and I know kind of how we go about doing things and talking things. And he's been a guest on this show uh, last year and whatnot. Uh, so yeah. Check us out on Hot Genre Topics bi-weekly. The next episode is going to be October 30th, the day before Halloween. We we haven't revealed our topic yet. We will soon. Um, But it's going to be a fun one. We try some really crazy hot sauce, and we drank some craft beer, and we talk horror movies. As I like to say, hot sauce and horror. So anyway, if you want to give Hot Genre Topics a follow on Instagram, it is in the show notes, or just look up at Hot Genre Topics. If you see our little logo, the flaming Hot uh, Zombie Pepper Jalapeno thing, I don't know, we haven't even given it a name yet. We should, it's our mascot. Uh, that's us. Uh, Instagram page just launched a little while ago, so we, you know we're getting trying to get those follows up, get those likes up and whatnot. So yeah, check us out. Now, on to today's show. Last month, a really interesting horror comedy dropped on Shudder called Who Invited Them? And I feel like there is a new subgenre of horror that's either called dinner party horror or as the director of the film who is on the show today, real estate horror. Um, It's about a party in the Hollywood Hills and after the party dies down, the homeowners still have guests at their house they discover that uh, makes things kind of you know, uncomfortable and odd for a little while. And uh, eh, I'll just leave it at that. I'll let him talk about it. I, I-, I hate doing elevator pitches or plot lines for-, <laughs> for other people's movies on this show. I save that for the director. Director is Duncan Birmingham, and he has had an incredible career, if you ask me, working with guys like Mark Marin, writing for newspapers, interning for Rolling Stone, working in tabloid media as well. And he's got some cool little teases of some films he's working on for potentially down the road. So, sit back, relax, and welcome to the basement. Duncan Birmingham, welcome to Tyler Geist's basement. Thanks for having me. This is a real, uh, a real pleasure. I didn't even realize we were in the basement. Well, I mean, you once again, a guest is on the show that looks like he's in a basement. I, I know you're in LA, but do, do, do they? I in in LA. No, I, I get that a lot because I, I podcast usually from this room. I have these uh, some the, someone I was just podcasting with thought I was in a ship. Um, yeah, these are these are some odd. I don't know how you describe them. Odd, uh, odd horizontal windows in here. But um, no, I'm I'm out. I could turn you around. You'd see the street, but I'll 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 leave the mystery. Interesting the mystery. 
yeah uh, being in florida we don't have basements but um <laughs> so but the the name uh the, just to tell you maybe i should have told you this before we record i call it tyler guys's basement because when i was crafting this idea to do a podcast i was like what the hell am i gonna call it and i was like well when i was a kid me and my friends when we before we all go make little movies it was like our production house at my parents basement where we just watch movies and stuff and I don't know, just kind of stuck. So that's why it's called Tyler Geis's basement, even though I'm a fraud and I'm not even in the basement right now. Oh, you're not. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I hope I didn't, <laughs> I hope I didn't just out you to everyone. No, um, no, no. Okay. People have come on this show and they're like, are you in a bit? I had um Charles Ban, famous B-movie producer, uh, you know, puppet master and stuff. He was plugging his book on this show and he's like, Are you actually in a basement? And I'm like, nah, man, I'm in my office. The window to my neighborhood's like right there. <laughs> Or <laughs> I don't think Mark Marin does his show from a garage anymore. You know, it's uh, you, you move on, but yeah. it's the, the spirit is there. And I will tell the listeners that uh, there's a looks like an eclectic uh, stacks of movies and books behind Tyler, so that the spirit of the artsy basement is, uh, is yeah. there. I mean, the some of uh, I think some of those books are like my wife's like medical books. She's a pharmacist, so but like I think I got um. Uh, I got some comics over there too and whatnot. Um, but cool, man. <laughs> um, you are here for, I mean, you're here for a lot of reasons. I, I doing some research on you. Like I was like, wow, this is quite the resume. And, um, but I, one of the reasons why I initially reached out to you is I caught the film who invited them on shutter. Um, once again, talking to people who've had their work on shutter, I am no way affiliated with Shudder whatsoever. I like to joke, uh, which is the truth. I'm not, but you know, there's just so many great films on there that I just try to reach out to the filmmakers. And this is, so this is just such a cool film. Why don't I just give you the floor? What's the elevator pitch of this movie? Oh, geez, the elevator pitch. I I, I usually describe it as more of just the, the setup. Um, yeah. And I, I tell people, you know, it's about a, a story about a couple having a housewarming party. They just moved into the Hollywood Hills, a very intimate little housewarming. And uh, they notice there are a couple guests there that the husband thinks the wife invited them. The wife thinks the husband invited them. And uh, then as the party winds down, they realize neither of them invited them. So it's like, who invited these people? That's their first realization. Their second realization is the couple is still in the house. Mm. And we meet them and they're super charming and they introduce themselves as the, the, the rich and fun neighbors next door. And as the evening one nightcap leads to another, we start to wonder, are they the neighbors next door or are they actually uh, oddball strangers who may be uh, harboring an agenda, a secret, whatever you want to call it. So that's kind of our, our setup. And I feel like, especially uh, when we're not post-COVID, but wherever we are in COVID, just feels like there was always something very fraught about parties. I used to be a real party lover. I think I still like parties. I'm definitely not good at them anymore. But if you're going to do some kind of, the idea was to do a kind of a, a different kind of home invasion movie. I call it a polite home invasion movie. And uh, if you're going to, you know, slip into someone's house, a, a party is a pretty good time to, to do it. I did not think of the movie as a home invasion film till you literally just said it. <laughs> and that's a valid point. That It really was a, a polite uh, home invasion movie that really kind of goes off the rails in the last 15, 20 minutes. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I, this, uh, um, I played at the Overlook Film Festival in New Orleans, and that was a lot of fun. And, and uh, someone came up after, and I liked this, this uh, review a lot. I wish I could put this on the poster. He was like, oh, it's kind of like, you know, kind of reminded me of The Strangers, but in The Strangers, they don't speak. And in this movie, they never shut the hell up. And uh, I like that. He didn't say hell. I didn't, I didn't know if I could swear on the podcast. Oh, go ahead. You can swear. Okay. Podcast. Don't All worry. Right. Don't worry. Somebody's kid listens, but it's whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I like that. I like that, that you didn't, uh, you know, think home invasion movie. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't stick to, uh, you know, uh, adhere too much to that genre, but uh, that, that was kind of in the, the, the ether of the movies I was watching at the time I kind of came up with the idea. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for, Thanks for checking it out. I also am a big fan for fan of Shutter, and uh, you know they're not cutting me any checks besides the one for the movie. And I've just I watched like a four hour doc on folklore horror the other day. Yes. Amazing. And uh, and last wow. yeah, it's there's a lot of great stuff on there, and a, a lot of friends' films are are popping up on there. It's a good 
a good uh, good whatever you call it channel platform yeah yeah no it's it's i i I think i started getting shutter directors on the show like this time last year and it's been a real treat talking everybody's had nothing but nice things to say about working with them even if they were the director and it wasn't really them that worked with them directly i guess like through a distributor and whatnot um i i wanted to say this i maybe was going to say this at the tail end when we dive into the film a little more which we will in a little bit but i'll just say this now like it reminded me a little bit of i don't know if you've seen the invitation never heard of it oh well there's like i have have, have the invitation and i'm I'm just kidding around (laughs) Uh, yes no i love the invitation and i actually did a um um someone at at letterbox asked me to do like come up with you know movies that were influential Mm -hmm who invited them and uh there's you know a lot of different uh films everything from like this movie everyone else to like king of comedy um but certainly uh the imitation was a big one and also um to a certain extent cheap cheap thrills funny games but i i love the imitation um i i think that's such a a great uh a great movie also a great great uh great movie up in the hills yeah super claustrophobic in that house in that movie uh, which I think you also captured pretty well. It was a very tense, uh, tense atmosphere as the movie goes on. Um, we'll get into who invited them in a little bit, but like I said, I, I was just kind of going through your background and whatnot. And you know, you told me before we hit record, you also are a Massachusetts boy, born and raised. I am. I am. Although if I uh, meet someone and they're wearing like a Red Sox cap, I usually just say Florida because I also live there too. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, not that I don't love the Red Sox, but I follow, I do not follow sports at all. So I'm the most disappointing person to meet from Boston if you want to talk about sports. So yeah, I, I lived in the suburbs. I lived in Boston. Then I, 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 uh, I, I think my, I don't know if my dad had a midlife crisis or what, but suddenly we moved to Florida uh, South Florida, lived down there um, through high school, and then uh, went went back to Boston after college, and lived uh, like lived downtown Boston for a couple years, and really liked it. Really felt like home to me. Um, such a great city, but did want to do something in the film industry, and ended up coming out here. Uh, oh my God, twenty two years ago, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, LA is not not too shabby a place to be for the most part i bet yeah i've bounced around out there a little bit uh you wrote for the uh was it the cambridge chronicle if my sources are i did your sources are spot on your resources are wikipedia so you never know uh yeah you know i i always my my jobs uh were often uh newspapers and magazines um just because i felt like so many of my favorite writers or authors like in their bios it would have they worked at a newspaper they worked at a magazine I was like oh that sounds um so I worked at the uh, Cambridge Chronicle for this for the for the the Bostonites the, the Bostonians that are listening I, I worked at the Somerville Journal and the Cambridge Chronicle which is in the same office in Davis Square in Somerville for a while and I, I worked at the Wellesley Townsman for a bit um yeah, those were those were good jobs. I don't even know. I don't think those papers, are, the Townsman's still around. I don't think the Chronicle and the Somerville Journal are around. I mean, even as I was working there, the papers papers were folding. They were getting consolidated. They're all being run by this big company in Newton, and uh, the the actual offices were closing up, and all the reporters were having to like move out of the towns they were reporting in to Newton and, and drive from there. So luckily, all the papers I worked at were still in their towns, but that was becoming a becoming a real rarity my claim to fame with the uh, boston print media is i tried to get an internship at the globe in college nice. uh, but i was i it's probably my own fault because we had like this big i remember that we had this big field trip out to boston for the day and we hit like all these big like media outlets and whatnot the first one we hit in the morning was uh the globe and all these so many classmates of mine were just like dressed in suit and ties trying like with a resume in hand trying to get a job and i was kind of a bit of a rebel and didn't <laughs> dress like that and i guess it kind of backfired on me but i, I would have thought that would have worked in your favor no no i i, I don't rebel know with the globe. that's just been the story of my life with uh being too straightforward and trying to be myself sometimes has burned me like um well i i 
I, this is actually another point I wanted to hit. I also read you taught adjunct at uh, Emerson. I did. I, I took, uh, I did a grad program at Emerson and part of the grad program was uh, doing the teaching track. Um, so that was, that was really great. So I, you know, I wasn't there long and Emerson has a program out in LA. So that was eventually how I ended up in LA. It was like, oh, okay, I can, I can take a couple of classes here in LA at their program and, you know, have my car packed up. Um, and hopefully, you know, yeah. it's too terrible and I'll stay. But yeah, that, that those classes, I, I occasionally when I moved to LA, I would run into some some of the freshmen, it was like a freshman required composition class. I would occasionally run into some freshmen that I taught and I'd be really excited, hoping to get some like feedback. Like, how was I as a teacher, as a professor? None of them really remembered. They were just like, oh, that was just some required English class. Um, but I had, a, I had a, also had a job in Boston working for this company called DJ USA, DJing like proms and weddings. Mm -hmm. And I remember my first day of teaching, I was a little nervous because I was only a couple of years older than you know, the undergrads. Yeah. And I thought I had established like a good rapport. And then I seemed like I was serious business. The class went well and I'm wrapping up the class and I say, are there any questions? And this girl raises her hand and she's like, I have a question. Did you DJ my senior prom last year? And I just felt like, you know, the, 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 the blood ran, you know, ran out of my face. Oh, I was no. so red faced. I just dismissed the class. I didn't address it. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I only did a couple of proms and they were all disasters. So, so we never dealt with that, but otherwise, uh, yeah, teaching was, teaching was good. Cool. Cause I was, um, I applied to go to Emerson. Uh, when did I, it's like 2008, 2010, uh, no, 2010. Um, were you wearing a suit? Was I, what were you wearing a suit? No, um, okay. but I just remember like, cause I was going to community college film school. I'm from Western Massachusetts, um, Springfield Technical Community College, which by the way, you know, if you want to start base level in a community college and learn film and TV, I actually think it's a great program. Uh, um, but I, I think my uh, professor, uh, who I'm still in touch with to this day, she, oh, she um, I went to high school with her, uh, with her son's. And, um, she told me, she's like, you should give Emerson a shot. I think it's, I think it's up your alley. I think directing is up your alley. I think, you know, you're very hands-on everything. And, you know, if your parents can swing it you know, financially, and I was like, I don't think they can, but, um, and she's like, give Emerson a try. So I, of course had to write, uh, my, my essay or my letter to try and get in. And I am awful at stuff like that. I, I can't even write a cover letter to save my life for a job. Cause it's just very much to pick me, pick me kind of thing. And like, I don't know, that's just, I've struggled with that. And I remember finishing the letter and I think I had to mail it out. Uh, not, it wasn't electronic. And I remember just going like the second I put it in the mailbox, I'm like, I'm not going to Emerson. And I didn't go in like, I got rejected. Um, but I definitely always admired that school. I had friends who went there and I, you're right. There is a lot of Emerson people out in LA that it's kind of like an Emerson mafia out there or something. Yeah. I, I wish I was a little more ensconced in the Emerson mafia since I was older and was doing the grad program. Not, not quite in it, but the, yeah. The, uh, yeah. I, 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 I would like to be, I would like to be Yeah, beautiful campus. I was just back there for a wedding, walking around. Um, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, real quick though, I, I learned you were an intern at Rolling Stone. I was, I was an intern at Rolling Stone. I've got to say, um, yeah, maybe in line with your suit story. I was, I did not, I was, I did not fit there maybe cause I've been going to school in upstate New York. I was not very city savvy at the time. I had also, uh, had had like regular, very low paying jobs, but they were regular jobs at, at uh, the Weekly World News and the National Enquirer. Those were like my summer jobs when I lived yeah. in Florida. So Rolling Stone was more of a traditional internship. And uh, I don't know, I, get, I maybe I was the corporate culture kind of bummed me out a little bit. Either, either way, this is all a, a, a long way of saying, I, I don't think I took advantage of the Rolling Stone uh, you know, time the way I should have, you know, there were, there were other interns, they were like pitching stories, 
they were totally on it. Uh, I was more like, I don't know, transcribing things and like hiding and uh, not, not doing a great job. The first day, maybe it was the first week, I get yelled at by Jan Wenner. Uh, that was my claim, claim to fame for a while. I was transcribing a story. This, this reporter was like, oh, I need you. I, I, I want you to type this, just use my desk. We were kind of floated around. We didn't have our own desks. Jan Wenner, you know, walks by. This desk is a little messy and he starts screaming at me. Then he screams at the whole, whole office. This is the kind of cubicle I don't want to see any more of this kind of mess. This kind, everybody's going to clean up their act around here. I mean, luckily everybody knew I didn't really work there. So it wasn't too shaming, but um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the greatest first one. <laughs> okay. Okay. So it wasn't the Cameron Crowe almost famous experience, basically. <laughs> It wasn't my, my time at Weekly World News, which was in Florida, which yeah. is the crazy black and white tabloid about oh, yeah. Elvis is risen and Bigfoot monsters and, and Bat Boy lives. Um, that was a little more my almost famous because I rolled in there, wrote stories. And and that was, you know, that was a 15 person operation uh, kind of in the in the bowels of the National Enquirer headquarters. So I got to do a lot there. I was on the radio as a Bigfoot expert. Um, uh, I, my, my friends were all in the weekly world news, their photos as like, you know, uh, migrant workers killed by a citrus monster or another friend got princess Diana's liver. Basically their headshots were in there, you know, under with, with character names and, and, uh, and folded into different stories and stuff. I was like, I was often in there as like a, a doctor. Um, yeah, that was a fun one. That was a fun one. Wow. I, I, you kind of answered my question for me because I knew you were writing for like tabloid news and whatnot. And I heard the National Enquirer was thrown around. Um, I was going to ask what your most wild story was that you ever printed, but I think that about <laughs> nails it. Though those magazines always creeped me out when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And it was like 1998, 1999. So like there was all the Y2K world ending stuff you'd see oh, right yeah. at the checkout at, at a shopping market and i just remember being like is the world really coming to an end my mom's like no it's not coming to an end the world's gonna come to an end it's gonna come to an end like that and i was like okay um yeah. i didn't even know national Enquirer was florida based until i mean this is kind of dark but un until i think that that epstein documentary on netflix i think they mentioned it so it was news to me that national Enquirer was in florida um, they were in lantana for years and i could uh I could go on quite a tangent about the, the whole story of how uh, the National Choir moved to Florida is very interesting. I won't go on this tangent, but I'll just say they were they were in New York. They were uh, running away from the mob. They wanted to get away from the unions. They moved to Lantana, Florida, uh, kind of took over. And then the other tabloids saw what they were doing and that they had all this low overhead and office space in Florida, and they all moved to Lantana. So Lantana, Florida, uh, which is not a huge town. Uh, I think the town um, slogan is the, the the home of the barefoot mailman. Anyway, this kind of you know, not it's not in the middle of nowhere. It's 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 between West Palm and Boca, but not a particularly huge town. Became what's known as the uh, tabloid triangle, um, where all these tabloids were, and you just had all these like hard drinking, interesting characters, lots of Brits uh, taking over the town and yeah. uh, you know running running with these crazy stories. And there was just so much money in tabloids back then. This is all before my time, but I, I find that really interesting. It's almost like Mad Men, uh, Mad Men in the tabloid world <laughs> in the 70s. And if, if you're asking, uh, do I have a TV pilot written about this? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I was literally about to say- Look me up on Twitter. Look me up on Twitter. I, I don't think I've read that far onto your Twitter thread, but because honestly, I know- I reached out to you. I don't know if I'll leave this part in, but um, I reached out to you on Twitter and I'm like, barely, I'm literally only on Twitter to try and see if I can get guests on this show via Twitter. But uh, yeah, whole time you're saying that I was like, this is either a pilot or this is a, this is a, a movie somebody's got to make right now. I'm here to plug. I'm here to plug. Well, <laughs> No, much for that idea for I'm me, here, I guess. But. I'm here to chat. I'm here to chat. Yeah, I think it would be a good show. It's been developed. Some some other producers and writers who have uh, life rights of different people involved have been developing it, but uh, it never seems to get made. It seems like people talk about it every five years. Um, I think I think my show, which I wrote and is original and is not uh, dependent on any life rights, is a winner. Yeah. No. I 
I dig it, man. I hope it gets made Thank for you. real. Um, well, let's jump ahead uh, because you were in close collaborations with none other than Mark Marin for a while. You nodded yeah. no. I got nervous. Oh, no, I nodded no. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, that was yes. I was like, shit, there goes, there goes that, 10 minutes. That was, of the, that was the same Duncan Birmingham. Yes. Yes. That, I mean, that was the, uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, probably that was a, a, a great, great, great experience. Um, so it was, you know, I was already a fan and um, I, let's see. How did come? Oh, I met with uh, Dennis Leary's company. They produced it and yeah. they were looking for a writer and so often you go into these meetings and they, if they have a book or an idea or something, usually they just have all these writers chasing after it. So I, I didn't even hold out any hope. I was like, oh, Mark Marin's, you know, you're going to do a TV show with him. I just read an article about him in the New York Times. I was like, sure, I'll, I'd be interested. But I did not have a lot of, uh, I just didn't have a lot of hope. I don't know why. I guess I'm just a, a cynical guy. But we met and uh, he was great. And I think we hit it off. I think maybe Maybe, you know, I, I know he met with some other writers before. Maybe they didn't hit it off. We went shopping in Ikea uh, one day. And um, yeah, I don't know. He's he's uh, just great because there's so much. Um, if you listen to the podcast or know his stand-up, there's just always yeah. conflict. So he can go into a coffee shop and order, you know, a cappuccino. And if it doesn't come out right, that's there's a there's a conflict there. And there's uh, a, a, a spiraling of of, uh, I don't know, anxieties and neuroses, um, but also anger, uh, which I think is is really, really fun, uh, especially for me to write because I as a recovering Catholic, I tamp my anger like way down deep and just let yeah. it you know, give me an ulcer. Um, so anyway, just as as far as um, uh, you know, a character, and we we were you know writing a character version of him for the show. Um, super super fun to write, and 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 uh, super engaging to be with. And, and since I was already a fan, it was kind of right like writing uh, fan fiction. So yeah, that show aired on IFC for a while. I sent him. I sent Mark, uh, who invited them. I don't know if he'll watch it. I said, check it out. I think it'd be up your alley. We'll see. We'll see. But um, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I. Was that kind of how the writing process went? Like something aggravating happened to him and it was like, there it is. There's an episode. Um, usually, I mean, he has so much good, uh, good stand up and so much material and stuff. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, we didn't want to call too much from, from, you know, routines he'd already done. Yeah. I mean, you know, he just came to the table with, in, in my mind, a, a show that was, you know, already, ready to go. I mean, in terms of his life, um, being a guy who's living in uh, Highland Park, which is a little outside kind of the mainstream of the of the Hollywood world. And, you know, now he's been on a bunch of shows and but but this is more like, you know, 10 years ago, a guy who's living in Highland Park, who's got a chip on his shoulder that maybe he should be more successful. And he's got these people like Ben Stiller, or, you know, Judd Apatow, Sarah Silverman, uh, coming into his house every week to do a, or every couple of days to do a, a podcast. Uh, that's just an instant story generator. So whether yeah. Sarah Silverman, you know, comes in and gives him some life advice and that kind of thematically fits into the show, or she like, you know, gets involved in, in, and meets his dad, you know, in the kitchen and gets involved in that episode. That, that, that to me felt like, uh, you know, a, a total no brainer for a show. Um, and so different than all the other uh, you know, all the other shows that might be centered around a, a comedian at the time. Yeah. But yeah, no, he would totally come in all, you know, maybe on a Monday, all full of piss and vinegar about something that happened and tell a story. And, and um, those were often, you know, great fodder for the show. He, he's such a great comedian. He's, I, I just like, I forget how much I actually like and relate to his comedy until I watch something new of his and like, maybe I've gone like a gap of not really rewatching anything of his. Cause I remember about a year ago, there's really no question here. It's just me kind of being a Mark Maron fanboy, I guess. But uh, I just remember like, I came across one of his Netflix specials and I think there was like two more and I was like, eh, I'll put it on. I think I've seen this one before and sat through that one and then went through the other two. And usually it was like, it was, I was just going to put on to maybe like, yeah, kind of get tired, go to sleep, watched all three of them in a night. And it's almost like he hits the stage 
And it's like he's picking up where he left off from a conversation he left you and he just starts riffing on something again. Like he, he started one of the shows or one of the bits early on in the show where he's referring to it. He's referring to someone as him. Just like, yeah, so he's just doing this shit, man. I don't, I don't, I don't really know what he's saying, but, and then like a minute or two minutes in, you're like, oh, he's talking about Trump. <laughs> like He's yeah. just going off about Trump and he hasn't said Trump yet. And I don't know. I just, I think he's, I think he's a, just a real comic genius personally, in my opinion. Um, no, he's one of the greats. And, and actually as much as I, you know, I love all his stuff, but actually I think the last time I saw him was the last time I saw him do a full show was actually my favorite of his shows. So I, I feel like he's, uh, he's great and just getting better. And yeah, yeah. He has a thing where like, it can, it feels conversational, but it's also this fully form set and he's kind of like half sitting on a stool and i don't know you lean in um i don't know it's uh comedians that's that is a tough that is a tough gig yeah yeah a lot of respect for comedians but yeah it's definitely an art form for him um just to kind of make it almost conversational like you're just there to listen to him talk but he's got jokes there well yeah that that that's cool that i got a guy close in cahoots with a great comedian on this show and um, but you have jumped out into like you, you were writing for the show and whatnot, but you've jumped out into making films and directing films and you've made a few shorts. Was that kind of like a warm up for your future length directorial debut? Which is that, that was the idea that it was a warm up, although sometimes it felt like that was just going to be it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's hard to get, it was very hard to get this movie. Or I should say it was hard to get a movie, uh, you know, financed and made. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I would say, you know, when I first came out, out here, uh, out, out to LA, I uh, worked mostly after being an assistant, doing a bunch of things, worked mostly in movies, got a couple like, you know, lucky break uh, jobs writing movies and those movies never got made. And I was like, oh, this is really frustrating. Moved to TV before kind of the rush of, of writers to, to TV. Um, and then, uh, as I was writing and doing things in TV, you know, just really missed, uh, missed movies. So started making my own shorts. And at first I thought uh, I was a total genius. I filmed a short in my bedroom with a couple actor friends. We filmed it in one night and, uh, and that went to Sundance. And I was like, I've got the magic touch. <laughs> I really know what I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I, and I love the other shorts I made too, but like uh, that, that, that Sundance oh, one, nice. I got spoiled. I got spoiled on the first one, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and, but that was a really big deal going to Sundance. And that's actually where I met the uh, producer, Mary Pat Bentel, who produced this movie, um, who invited them. So even though this was 11 years ago, um, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good things came from, uh, came from Sundance. So yeah, made, made all, and all the shorts I've made have been, um, uh, you know, they're usually where I'm living, uh, with, with friends, you know, I've tried, I tried to make them slightly, uh, bigger production value with each, each one, uh, you know, but they were like, you know, I started with two people, then it was, uh, three people, three actors, then it was four actors and it was, you know, four actors and a dog. Um, so yeah, yeah. Tried to, tried to kind of scale up, uh, every time, but, but that was where I met. Uh, a lot of great filmmakers when I would go to film festivals and also um, gave me something to show when I was shopping around the, the movie script. Definitely. What made you want to direct? Like what was it, was it films that you saw or would you try to like kind of mimic, pull something from other directors and whatnot? Like what kind of made you want to do what you do? Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I came out uh, to LA to write. So I, you know, writing is, I feel like my, uh, for better, or for worse, my strength. Um, and then, you know, in, in the back of my head, maybe I was thinking like, oh, if I become like successful, maybe as a writer, you know, maybe people will be like begging me to direct and, and I never became that successful and no one was going to be begging me to direct either way. I, I guess it, it was two prong. It was, it was one, it was like, I wanted to see things get made, you know, so often you, you write something and, and you keep your fingers crossed that you sell it and makes, you know, some money. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, most of the time, you know, nothing ever gets done with it. And, and also a lot of the times for me, you don't even sell it. And, and I've, I've got a stack of 
of scripts that I'm like, oh my God, what, what am I doing with my life? Uh, you feel like at a certain point. So, so the, the making of the shorts was a way to just get, you know, what I thought were good stories, good uh, short scripts out there um, and show them to people. And then uh, I, I love writing screenplays and I, you know, uh, felt like who invited them. And I even had a movie I was shopping before that, that, that obviously I haven't made yet uh, called Almost Genius. I felt like those were, those were good stories. It's not like I'd be trying to sell them and, and someone was going to snatch them up for a gazillion dollars. They're fairly, you know, quirky and, uh, and, uh, and even if someone did want to make them, they, I really wrote them for me to make. I, I wanted, I really wanted to get something out there. It's like, if someone's going to screw up my script, I'll screw it up. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, cool, man. So you come from like, cause I, I have directors on the show and I can kind of tell sometimes if they're coming from the writer's perspective or they're coming from like, they're into gear, you know, like they're into cameras and whatnot. And I, I have, I, I come from a you know, writer's perspective too, when I, in terms of directing and whatnot, because I like to make a joke with some of my cinematographer friends and I've done it before, like on little stuff we've made where I'll make a joke about a lens to throw on the camera for this shot. And I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> and they'll just kind of give me a look like, no, man, we're not doing like, what the hell is your problem? They know I'm kidding at that point, but it, it, it's cool to talk to someone who comes from a writer's perspective that jumped into directing. And with that being said, let's talk about it. Let's talk about who invited them. Uh, I think I already said it already, but it's such an awesome, nice, tight little movie. And uh, I think I wrote on letterbox and I don't know if you remember this, but you definitely liked my letterbox review. Uh, I like I like those letterbox reviews. I like those letterbox. I want you know I want the good ones rising to the top. I had no idea how many places there were to review a movie like letter. Uh, I've been I don't use this reviews. I just kind of throw like a paragraph up and like I try to be quirky at times. Sometimes I'm I'm not. But like I think I said something along the lines of like, you know, in a world of like there being so many slow burns out there. And people, I don't even remember what I said. I don't have it in front of me, but like, I like, feels, it. I like it already. Well, like, let me see if I can find it. Hold on. Um, <laughs> but I think I said something about like, uh, you know, it feels like someone told me, I think someone gave me a heads up, like, Hey, it's a slow burn. And immediately, like, I'm just going to say up front, I was just like, no, I don't want to watch a slow burn. Like in this, in this day and age, you have to, you got to get me in the first 15, 20 minutes, but whether you want to call this a slow burn or not, like this just hooks you based off of, the dynamics of the characters you have in this movie. Um, it was just really well-crafted. You did a phenomenal job. I'll probably say that again. You can say, I mean, say it all the whole time. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I guess I can. I might push back. I know you didn't say it. It's someone else. I might push back on the slow burn. I feel like if it's a movie that someone ultimately is going to watch and then be like, man, eh, this wasn't for me, then they'll probably label it a, a slow burn and be like, oh, it took a while for things to get going there. Um, but I feel like for the people that like the movie, which is luckily seems to be most most people, not everyone, yeah. um, I think those for them the, the meat or the enjoyment of the movie, um, you, you know, comes in in the first act and just the the, yeah. the banter or the dynamics of the of the characters. So it might even be more the uh, a horror expectation, and it is on Shutter, um, and we are calling it it is a horror comedy. So. So there, there might, there's, there's that as well, which might feed into the slow burn uh, element of it. Yeah. No, I found what I, I found what I said. It's right here. I said, when someone says it's a slow burn, I cringe. You better catch me in the first 15 minutes in this day and age of film releasing. Someone told me this was going to be a slow burn to the last 15 minutes. You could argue that it is, but everything leading up to the finale is a lot of fun. Like it. <laughs> well, you did like it because it is liked by Duncan Birmingham. There we go. Um, well, let's, uh, let's get down to like what kind of inspired you to, you know, start typing away because you are the writer director of this. Like, what was the light bulb moment uh, when you decided to start crafting this little story? Um, you know, I, I did want to write something that had a, a horror element to it. Um, I did feel like that would be, I, I felt like that was uh, be a good challenge. I also felt like, uh, 
the dramedies and the comedies that I had been shopping around. I, I just wanted to try something a little different. I, and so I, I made a short called Exterminator that I filmed at my place. It's kind of like a dark comedy, but there's a little bit of horror in there. And um, so that was, you know, whatever that was three or four years ago, started getting, always loved horror, but started getting even a little more into horror. And I would say the, the seed of the idea was, as I might've mentioned, just this, this notion of like, I, I mean, I feel like home invasion movies are the, the scariest mm -hmm. of all horror movies or thrillers or whatever genre, uh, you know, the particular movie might be part of. I still keep my copy of Helter Skelter, even though I've read it by my bedside table. Oh, yeah unread books just to remind me to lock my doors as a Los Angelino. Um, yeah. So was, I felt like there was something interesting about a party uh, where there are some guests that neither the husband or the wife remember inviting. I thought that was cool. I was like, oh, I know there's a movie in here and I was rooting around in that idea for a while. So that was maybe light bulb one and light bulb two was um, uh, the backstory of, of coming up with why these people would be in the house and, and what's interesting about that. So once I had those two, um, yeah, I was kind of off to the races and the script probably came a little more easily than, than most uh, I write. Uh, I'm writing a script right now and it's just like, uh, you know, the, the Vietnam of, of screenplays. I'm just like caught in the quagmire of act two and then I'm like, is this thing ever gonna be finished? Um, so uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say those those were kind of the two light bulb uh, light bulb moments, and there seemed to be something about a uh, the, tonally. There seemed to be something interesting about a, a, a horror comedy that had to do with a social anxiety and, and this couple yeah. trying to test this other couple and how much how much you know grief and and bullshit are they going to take from this other couple uh, who seem to be so exciting and almost like the couple they want to be. Have you ever gone to like? house parties in the hills and kind of maybe pulled any sort of inspiration at all from them if you have to kind of put into the story i i mean i've i've been to i've been to some parties in my day um <laughs> probably been the uh house guest who doesn't leave more often than i've been the host who wants that person to leave uh i mean i have had i i have parties i used to have a saint patrick's day party uh Every year, I've definitely had some stragglers at that party. Not that they were total strangers, but um, people I'm just like, oh, God, are they ever going to leave? I mean, that, that house guests, any kind of guest staying at your place, uh, to me, is a huge source of uh, anxiety, a, a rainbow of anxiety. I mean, how to get someone out the door is, is really hard in a way that isn't... Uh, totally rude. So I've, I've definitely had my share of, of guests, party guests or house guests that I cannot get rid of. Um, yeah, completely. Yeah, I, mean, I only, I only ask because like really hard to get them on the road, you know? Yeah, no, I got you. I, I only ask because like, you know, we were talking at the top of the show with like a film, like the invitation and then like the film like this. And there's a few other ones that are escaping me. just about like parties up in the Hollywood Hills and whatnot. And I feel like it's almost become like a little subgenre. Like there's just kind of bizarre things that kind, I mean, look, I'm not in Los Angeles. I, you know, I've been out there a little bit and I've never gone to a house party, but I've always just heard kind of stories of parties and like these little almost, I don't want to say subcultures, but I, I don't know. There's just things that go on that might be a little out of the ordinary I don't know what I'm trying to say, but no, I, I completely agree. I feel like there's a there's someone wrote in a review that th this was part of a sub genre of like real estate horror, which I really like. Yeah. <laughs> and then also there is a there is a sub genre of, uh, yeah, kind of Hollywood Hills movies. Not uh, uh, as we're talking about the, the invitation is the only one I can think of off the top of my head that uh, was a horror movie. But I'm, I'm just thinking of like uh, this movie, like Hurley Burley and um, the anniversary party with uh, Alan Cumming, like- Okay, I know that one, yeah. There's something, and, and, and I, they don't say Los Angeles in the movie. Um, I mean, clearly that's probably where it is, but I didn't want there to be anyone talking about Hollywood, didn't want to be too specific yeah. about the hills, because it, it just feels like the, the, the hills are these, this interesting area uh, that not only kind of evoke uh, you know, all types of Manson lore, but also yeah. you, you, you like the, the teeny character, you, you get lost up there 
and your cell reception is either spotty or just goes out completely. Uh, there's coyotes and all kinds of critters uh, lurking about. Um, so there, there are other cities. I, I mean, I, I guess I've been, a, I went to a party once in the hills of Portland. I don't know how far up we were, but that was, you know, there are other other uh, hills like that. But I feel like the, the LA hills were a little unique in how, um, I don't know how the, the, it's kind of the, the wilderness is jutted right up against one of the, you know, ultimate postmodern cities. And that felt like a cool, you know, juxtaposition and, and uh, also a great, a great, um, you know, way to keep the, the main characters, Margot and, uh, and Adam a little bit isolated. So, but yeah, that is, a, that is, a, I'm going to look up, I'm going to make a list of the, the Hollywood Hills, uh, the Hollywood Hills. Yeah. Like, well, um, I mean, it's obviously a real life thing and I don't want to dive too far in it because it's dark, but you pretty dark, but you, you mentioned Helter Skelter and I feel like that was kind of the first, I mean, for anybody who doesn't know what Helter Skelter is, it's the book about uh, the Manson murders and the trial and everything. I, I did a book report on it in the 10th grade and I probably, I was, I, I did a really good job on it, not to brag about doing a book report. I just remember being so enticed by the story and the way that book was written, but that dark man, material for 10th grade. Yeah. I, I don't even know how that happened. Like I just, for, for my midlife, it's dark material. Yeah. I, I know. Like the more, the more I learn about the Manson murders, um, it just gets darker and darker, but like, I don't, I, now that you mentioned that, I don't know how that landed on my desk in 10th grade going, I want to learn about Charles Manson and the cult and the Manson murders and Sharon Tate um, and Roman Polanski and all this stuff. But, um, but that really kind of was the first real life, you know, I mean, at least to my knowledge, I'm sure maybe there was something more, but, or before then, but that was really kind of the first real life horror story kind of to come out of that um region it seems yep. um yeah but it is i just i've noticed it over the years there's kind of these i feel like there's a film here and there about like a dinner party or house party in that area and something goes south and things go south in your movie um with what happens and um the casting of this film is so fucking cool like the way you put these characters together, like how did these four land on your plate? Uh, that was a blessing from the movie gods that I got these four, the, the, the whole cast, but the, these four actors in particular, um, you know, we, we had moved our dates a couple of times. We were, had, you know, some people cast who weren't able to do the new dates. Everything is, we're in a, is this movie really going to happen kind of a stage. Um, great, got a great casting director on board. And, and yeah, these, these actors did not know each other um, beforehand. Wow. Uh, everyone I talked to, or a lot of people I talked to think they are, you know, we're friends because they have such a great rapport and they work so well together. They're friends now, which is really awesome. They're all on like a, you know, text chain together that I'm like jealous of. I was like, I want to be on the text chain. But, uh, and for the, for the listeners, yeah, I, I had been a fan of, of Ryan Hansen for years from uh, Party Down and Veronica Mars. Uh, Melissa Tang, who plays Margot, is on the Kaminsky Method and just came yeah. absolutely killed it in a role where she's got to do so much, uh, you know, so many extreme, <laughs> extreme things. Uh, Perry Matfeld is the star of In the Dark. Yep. Um, and she nailed it along with Timothy Granaderos, who plays Tom, uh, who I had seen. I first saw him on, in Untitled, Untitled Horror Movie, and then I watched a, a bunch of 13 Reasons Why, and then I saw him in another movie, Plan B. Um, so versatile, completely different in, in, in all three of those things. And, uh, and yeah, uh, uh, Tim and, and Perry, you know, they, they, those, are, those are challenging roles. They're working with a first time director on a super low budget movie and I'm meeting them a couple days before we're shooting and they've got to be you know ch charming enough that uh Adam and Margot are enamored with them and are going to let them stay in the house and Adam and Margot aren't like total you know squares they're they're you know pretty cool yeah so they have to be charming enough but then they also have to have an air of menace and danger that uh you know carries you through the movie or or the movie would just um you know be a, be a deflated balloon so those those are very that's a very uh, hard target to hit tightrope to walk and um yeah yeah they totally, totally wow. nailed it. 
that's phenomenal chemistry for that quick of a like meetup to go shoot this thing. Cause I mean, you would have, I would have thought you had this thing like prepped for months with how they interacted with each other. Uh, well, nice to hear and a, a great, uh, yeah, credit to the actors. You no, know, we had one, one zoom reading, uh, you know, a com- couple conversations and, uh, they were all such pros and, and they also, uh, um, they're they I just love how they they interact they're also very different it's very four very distinct performances that both complement each other and don't step on each other and that's like an alchemy that I would have no idea how to ask for as a director and they Mm -hmm. it out and just um, made that work so super lucky to have them I always like seeing and I don't know Ryan Hansen personally or I've never interviewed him but I always he always pops up and stuff that I'm watching from time to time and I always bring it back to he was in the uh, reboot of Friday the 13th. Right. And he gets shot in the arrow on a boat while it's moving by Jason Voorhees. And he looks like an Abercrombie model. And so like, when he popped up in this movie, I was like, oh, my God. Because I love the Friday the 13th reboot. I, I don't care what anybody says. I, I actually thought it was a solid remake. I thought it was solid, too. I, I Yeah. I, I, I don't know why they didn't keep that going, but... I don't know. I've been reading the trades and I, I think they're going to try for another reboot, but that's for another interview. Um, well, Ryan, Ryan is, is the best and also an amazingly uh, nice guy. And he, he mm-hmm. really could do anything. I mean, he, he could be in a rom-com, he could be in an action movie. He's hilarious. I love Ryan so much that the, this was a very quick shoot. The one day off I had, you know, basically just sleeping and working I just needed a little something to take my mind off the movie for like a half hour or something. And I ended up, turning on the TV and watching Ryan Hansen solves murders on YouTube. I think it's the name of the show. Uh, and just like laughing and loving it. So I'm like, Oh my God, I've got one day to get away from everyone. And I'm watching Ryan's, uh, you know, an, an, one of his older shows. Um, just so great. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great cast. And I, I do have to mention, I, I, I forget the actress's name and I forget her character name, but the, the woman you have out in the, like on the way to the party, I think the babysitter. Yes. Tipper Newton is teeny. Yeah, like I don't know if this is what you were going for, but the whole time I'm thinking her character reminds me of um Scatman Crothers in The Shining, just kind of this outside character trying to get to where the main problem is going on. Uh I I, I don't know if you were thinking that's just what I thought, but thank you, Tyler. Uh, that is what I was thinking. I mean, I love movies where there is like the character. I mean, that's it's a horror movie trope and a thriller trope that there's a character who's like they're usually figuring things out, putting the pieces together and then going to try and, um, you know, uh, rescue their friend from danger. And I like it in particular when those those tropes are kind of uh, inverted or, 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 or uh, something's done differently. And I think The Shining is just the best. I mean, you're so invested in Scatman Crothers going up there and then the way he's taken out instant yeah. is, so is just let down it just makes you feel like oh i'm in the hands of a very this movie's going to get very dark I, I remember as a kid that really scaring me um in misery there's something similar too there's like the richard farnsworth sheriff character yeah. and, uh but but yeah so i wanted to do a, a b plot that was in that realm and i thought it would be fun if her husband uh, played by Barry Rothbard, Frank, if he was into guns, but you got the sense from her and our limited time we spent with her that she was a little more, a little more of a pacifist, a little more flaky. So you kind of want Frank to go up there, but she ends up going up there mm-hmm. pretty much the least effective seemingly seeming person to possibly walk into what seems like it was going to be an awful, uh, horrific scene. And she can't even, um, you know, take out the, uh, animal uh, yeah. suffering. So that, that was kind of the idea w- with that to, to kind of get to know Teeny and give her her own journey. And then I, I, I wouldn't call where she ends up a success, but she does, uh, she does manage to do something uh, at the end that I felt like, at least in my mind, you know, felt like a nice arc for her. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you are, you are spot on with wow. your letterbox review, I think, and your Scatman Crothers uh, plot. <laughs> analysis so thank you all right cool man um well this movie has great tense beats mixed in with humor uh some of my fate I, I would say like my favorite part of the i mean I, it's hard to pick what my favorite part of the movie was but i think one of the more interesting parts was 
when the guys go off and talk together and then you have the ladies go off and talk together um and you you learn more about um ryan and melissa the actresses uh i forget their character names but um uh their kind of marriage and maybe what's kind of going on behind the scenes there and i I thought it was kind of interesting how you make um one couple bring out another couple's like skeletons in their closet almost uh what was your like favorite scene to shoot and if it's a spoiler you don't have to answer the question but like what 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 did you enjoy uh i'll say maybe two two things there is a scene um in the living room that's like the punching game oh yeah that um you know we, we had to, that i was a little intimidated by because it is a really long scene we're in the same location and uh, the, the actors were just so great in that and you could tell they were great on the day that it really felt like we were cooking with gas and i, I thought it had something special so that that scene was a lot of fun because a lot of times not on this movie, but on other things I've worked on, you know, there's this element of like, is it working? Is, you know, is the crew, the crew look, are they laughing? Or, um, and this, this also because of the tone of the movie, I say, is the crew laughing? You can't really look at the crew for this because, you know, it's a lot of dark humor and then it's also folded inside this kind of horror movie. So, so laughter wasn't really something we were always doing um, at the monitors sometimes, but that scene was a lot of fun because I felt like, I don't know. We just started shooting it. It just felt like it was really, uh, really going well. And then for me, there were some scenes uh, that were in the, you know, in the horror world that I was a little intimidated by. Haven't really done much with blood before. Haven't really done much, uh, you know, with stunts before. And those were really fun. We had a great uh, stunt guy who was super awesome. And, uh, and just anything with, with, uh, with with blood uh was uh was it's kind of kind of like a refreshing thing it's kind of like oh when we shooting that blood stuff oh after lunch and i don't know it was just that was fun that was more fun than i thought it would be so two two very different pleasures one one was just the, the actors knocking it out of the park and the scene i was worried about and the others yeah just being the the kind of special effects stuff um that was cool interesting i know this isn't like a full-on like horror film like it's a horror comedy which i think is a tough blend to accomplish a lot of people at least on the horror side say horror is a horror comedy is a tough blend but do you plan on staying in like horror genre a little bit i, I know you obviously have a background with like something like mark maron writing writing comedy and whatnot but do you got I, another one up your sleeve i i hope so i hope so and i i agree not only is horror genres a, a horror comedy is a tough one but also i'm i'm not the first person hooked in when someone says horror comedy i'm usually like a oh, horror comedy i don't know it feels like um yeah it feels like i don't know blood's exploding bodies exploding and it's there's there's something with the gore that that is joke dependent that maybe is a little turn off yeah you know it's it's really hard i i guess i I like to say, <laughs> I don't say this because it sounds pretentious and uh, it's too wordy, but horror dramedy is kind of the, the zone I feel like yeah. the movie's in. Um, uh, yes, I feel like it, that is a hard target. Uh, and there are so many movies that really are horror comedies that anything from like Shaun of the Dead to American Werewolf in London that, uh, you know, are some of my favorites. Um, anyway, sorry, I went on a tangent. Uh, I am working on a script that's a slasher movie with a love story. So that would kind of be in the same tone. Um, I just, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a good idea. Uh, like I said, as I offensively compared it to the Vietnam of screenplays, as I've been kind of mucking around in it for a bit. Uh, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll get there, but, but tonally, um, yeah, tonally it's not too far off from who invited them because um, that, that is a tone I like. And I, I felt like, it uh, came out nicely, I think. So yeah, and hopefully uh, with this one to to show people uh, might be a little easier to uh, get the funding. First one's always the tough one, I'm yeah. told. Yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Congratulations. I think you accomplished something good with who invited them. Uh, I'm not just saying that. Obviously, I asked you to come on the show. I invited you on the show. Uh, you, thank you. Thank you. For, <laughs> now that I know that you wrote the, the super smart letterbox, I'm going to. I wasn't that smart. I mean, I like it again. If you there go back, some... if you go back, if you want to go back and look at a lot of my letterbox reviews, there's actually like a, lot, a ton of typos. sometimes. <laughs> there are some really great. I try not to look because obviously there are, well, not obviously, but there are negative, you know, 
try not to dive too deeply because there are also negative things too. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I like to call some things from negative reviews, but not too much. But I've read some really good ones on on Letterboxd, some really smart ones, some some smart comments that are better than I, I think some of the, you know, quote unquote professional reviews. So a lot of good things going on on Letterboxd and such a high volume. There's like a thousand reviews. Yeah, um, yeah no, I've, I've gotten much more into Letterboxd in the last uh, two weeks for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool discovery for me. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people on there that are trying to make it in the industry of being a film critic. <laughs> uh, I mean, and there's some people that I think are probably legitimate film critics that are referring people to the letterbox, but it, it really is. It's kind of cool. I don't think I've ever really plugged letterbox on this show, but any of you film cinephile, film nerds, whatever, if you don't have the app yet, uh, get on that where you can talk to other cinephiles and what or maybe not talk but i don't know but it's fun um well you know what could happen you can end up on a podcast yeah and then there's the whole horror side horrorville the whole horror side of letterbox yeah uh that's pretty cool yeah and i'll uh i can't stop plugging leave who invited them a review and uh boy if you really have some time in your hands maybe pop over to rotten tomatoes leave it an audience review that's another <laughs> place where there, there are all these reviews got to keep the popcorn uh, fresh over there Nice, dude. Nice. Um, it, it really is a great film. Um, congratulations. Here I go again, just saying it multiple times. Uh, before we go, and I, I just saw this in the corner of my notes. I wanted to ask you, I don't know if this is like how I should properly end the show, but you're, you're a published writer. Like you have books out there. Um, the Cult in My Garage came out. I don't have it yet. I haven't, I haven't read it, but I've taken notice of it. So I might be adding that to a wish list soon. I'm just saying um but you you also i noticed and correct me if i'm wrong just who knows what my sources if they're right or wrong but i noticed you have like a few pop-up books well <laughs> actually that is a different duncan birmingham the, oh the, no the pop-up books guy i know i oh god i don't know i'm cutting that out he was around or before i was no my mom has called me too and been like i didn't know you had these pop-up books he's in england but the cult in my garage is my book Please. Yeah. I also have a book from like years ago called Pets Who Want to Kill Themselves. You don't need to read yeah. that book. Like a, it's like a, the type of thing that would sell at Urban Outfitters. But uh, yeah, Cult in My Garage. It's a it's an indie like this movie. It is a it is also an indie from mm. a small press, a great press uh, in Chicago that had put out um, a, a writer. I like Bud Smith, his book of stories, Double Bird. And I was lucky enough that they put out uh, my book of stories. A lot of the stories are either um uh, seeds of ideas for movies or you know uh, so I feel like there's a lot of crossover uh between all the things I do uh like I said about that short exterminator that originally started as a story so the stories are pretty pretty out there um but uh yeah um check it out nice last do you get that a lot are you the, are you the Duncan Birmingham pop-up book guy not too, not too much, ah, um, but but sometimes, especially when the book this book came out. You know, we're both on Amazon. We yeah. both have the same the same uh, distinct mouthful of a name. Yeah, someone 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 needs to add an initial or something. I don't know. <laughs> I should reach out to him and say something. He probably thinks I'm a jerk because I think <laughs> I'm, a I'm sure it's more annoying for him. Like, hey, hey, I love your pets who want to kill themselves. This guy's trying to build a nice brand of like children's pop-up books. And he's got all my like weird projects, like, you know, chomping up his Google. I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't screw up like royalty checks at some point. <laughs> like, Well, look, man, uh, this is the part of the show where we, I know how non-disclosure agreements work, oh, but yeah. if you have anything you can or cannot plug, and if you can't plug, just say, no, I can't talk about anything. Uh, but if you got anything coming down the pipeline, uh, the floor is yours. Oh God, I, I I don't care about NDAs. I will plug away. Uh, yeah, wish I had more things in the pipeline um, that were ready to go. But yeah, working on the slasher movie, pitching some TV shows. That's where I I usually work. One of the shows is actually based on a story that's in the book. Uh, if you buy the book, it's it's called The Foodie Detective. Yeah. Um, so who knows? Maybe you'll buy the book. I'll sell the show. It'll be a big hit, and the book will be worth its weight in gold. Um, but really, the only thing I'm plugging is uh, is yeah, is the movie. Uh, please check it out if you like it. Um, you know, tweet at me, write a review, tell your friends. Halloween's coming up. Everybody's looking for horror movies to watch. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll like it. 
Um, but th thanks for having me and thanks for all your kind words about the movie. This was, this was really fun and also a great interview, very thoughtful uh, questions. I Thank feel like I've been, been rambling a lot. I probably should have had a less No, no okay. rambling's awesome. Rambling is encouraged on this show. Uh, where can, if we want to, and if it's cool with you, where can we find you on social media? I am uh, uh, on Twitter too often, uh, Duncan Berm, which is my name, and, and then my, my, you know, the first syllable of my last name. So D-U-N-C-A-N-B-I-R-M. And, uh, and then, yeah, I guess I have the same handle on Instagram. Uh, I'm on there too. That's, that's about it. That's about it. Facebook's pretty dusty right now. So yeah, just Twitter and uh, Instagram. All right. Well, sir, thank you for a good show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate oh, it. Awesome. Tyler, and touch. yes, definitely. And um, that sounded kind of sarcastic. That sounded kind of condescending. I'll cut that part out. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and for um, the listeners, he rolled his eyes when he said that. He was like, yeah, yeah, def <laughs> definitely. Uh, and as for all of you listening at home, you know the routine. Leave a rating, leave a review so the show does not go into the abyss. See you next week on The Basement.